mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hi everyone, it's finally here. We're back with the And Just Like That episodes we know you've been waiting for. And because we're just so tapped into the zeitgeist, we're bringing them to you a full three months after the show aired. Dolly and I have recorded three episodes that will be spread across April and then the normal sentimental garbage season will resume in May. Like you, we've been just so distressed and heartbroken to see what has been happening in Ukraine. And so we've both decided to donate all the proceeds from the month of April to British Ukrainian aid. If you would like to donate yourself, the link is in the show notes, but every share and impassioned recommendation of these episodes will go towards a very good cause. Okay, that's all from me. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Sentimental in the City, a podcast that was once very popular, but now we have to wonder, has it lost its way? <laughs> My name is Caroline O'Hugh, and you can always stop to wash your hands before fingering your wife. Joining me is a woman who has 5,000 less fans than Jay Diaz on Instagram, Dolly Alderton. Just couldn't help yourself, could she? I mean, you just couldn't help yourself. If you want to make a bed for us of, of uh, constantly pausing when we see text on screen to see what it says, seeing Che Diaz having 355,000 followers on Instagram. But the more you mention it, it's like you're prodding for a reaction, <laughs> Caroline, and I'm not going to give you one. I don't know what you're looking for. This week's doc, I think, the Google Docs, the yeah. famous Google Docs that we do when we're uh, watching. Episode mm. by episode of this show. It's like fucking Anna Karenina. It's it long. It was so long this week. And it was also like, there was a lot of conflict between us in it. I've yeah. got to say, like, it was quite a new experience for me because you and I, the main thing that was so mismatched and we were so out of time with each other is we were both wildly moved by completely separate things. Yes. And I don't get why you were moved by your bits. Okay. <laughs> And you don't get... I remember being very shamed by that when I was saying how I was moved by something and you just went, why? No, I wrote, why so moved, bro? <laughs> I'm just going to put it up top. Go on. Okay. The bit I was most moved by in this set of episodes, and we're talking about episodes four, five, six, and seven, mm. and the sticky middle, the sort of the... the mm. Sagging middle. The saggy middle, yes, um, was when Seema and Carrie are becoming friends. And she gets into her car. They're leaving an open house and Seema offers to give her a lift somewhere. She gets into her car and she kind of sniffs the air and she says, are you a smoker? And I find that very nice. <laughs> because... Why did it leave me cold? <laughs> first of all, I thought it was a nice touch. Like rather yeah. than like having someone have a cigarettes in their bag and see it that kind of thing of smelling the air and knowing you're in a smoker's abode yeah. is always really exciting when I go to someone's house even though I don't smoke that much when I know I can smoke somewhere it's exciting well I was about to say that's so funny because in my head I think you do smoke a lot it's because we're always smoking together. yes yes it's we're always smoking together and that's yeah. the other thing is because Carrie's always been a smoker or on and off she's been a smoker 
And even when she's not smoking, I think her identity is that of a smoker. Like, mm. in her head, that's a big part of who she is. And when she hasn't smoked for five years, it's still a thing. I'm like, I haven't smoked for five years, yeah. you know? Um, and so, but she's always, she's never had anyone to smoke with, apart mm. from big occasionally. But having her and Seema just smoke fags in the back of that car, loved it. I know what you mean. You, it, when no, you, you don't. When, you you're in the, when you're in the middle of being very moved on the, <laughs> on the Google Doc, you said, we've never seen Carrie smoking with a woman before. And I do get, like, that is, I don't know if it moves me, but it's a nice novelty, particularly as well, because, like, all that, that's still seen as quite a boyish yeah. habit, like, because it's reckless and it's kind of, you know, slightly vain and it's quite showboaty. Yeah. To yeah. see, like, two older women smoking together, it's kind of cool. It felt rare and cool and strange. Yeah. I loved it. I think because, well, because it's not exactly... um. I'm not exactly spoiled for choice in terms of moments to deeply enjoy in this in these set of episodes. So when I do enjoy something, I think I over-enjoy it. I, well, I'll tell you what I over-enjoyed and I was over-moved by. Okay. And then you made me feel very embarrassed about it. <laughs> oh, no! Not on the dock, but a few weeks back when we were talking about it. Okay. See, I've really been harboring this. Um, is I said I was very moved when Carrie plays the record... I can see clearly now the rain has gone and you were just like, why? <laughs> it's so cheesy. I, we, I think that's a big disagreement point for us. Uh, I think the music choices are mad. In... No, I, I actually do agree. Not just because I copy everything that you think, but when I've rewatched <laughs> it, because I want to impress you, but when I rewatched it this time, I did think, God, the budget would have been bottomless for the yeah. show. No show gets that. No, like every show is completely hamstrung by a, by an anemic music budget. Yeah. So they have yeah. to, you know, work in crazy ways to make a good soundtrack. They could have had any music they wanted and the music was bad, I think. Right, like even that Todd Rundgren song, Hello, It's Me, I don't think it's a good song. Okay, thank you because yeah. I said this at a dinner and I was as good as thrown out of the house. What? Who was at the dinner? Just a load of fucking idiots. Phil Collins. <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm going after Phil Collins? But I would have preferred a Phil Collins song. Do you know what I mean? I would prefer something that like would actually, you know, because I think what they try to do with a lot of the music choices is like, okay, we're harking back to the sort of like, um, sort of 70s, 80s kind of soundtrack or whatever. Yeah. And, and maybe this is, this show is kind of a rebirth for a lot of the characters and we're kind of bringing them back to this time period when they would have been very young. Yeah, that's I, true. I get that as a theme, but like, give us some Paul Simon, give us some Phil oh, Collins, no. give us some stuff to get us moving. And like. they could have fucking afforded it. Yeah. I hate that song. I'm so glad. I hate it. I wasn't going to bring that up because I was worried about the mutiny that we would get. And I was worried that you would be moved by that song. But no. it did not move me. No. And when they play in the school, the refrain of it, when she's thinking about Big and it's like, ding, 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 ding. I remain unmoved. <laughs> I don't like that song. Yeah. It's so like Steve Wright in the afternoon, I find. Yeah. All, it's so Radio 2. All of the short, like, and the, the, I can see clearly now, I just, I feel no, like. No, now, don't go after that, because that is a good one. I just think it's a song that you learn on the recorder. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like. Yeah, it felt kind of like rushed, didn't it? Uh, do you know, I really treated myself last night after I watched, um, the final episode in this section that we're going to be talking about, I treated myself to just having a little browse of the Amazon video reviews. Oh. I think the the, yeah, the star rating is like from collective reviews, like 
two and a half stars, isn't it? No, no, it's it's doing okay. Oh, really? It's doing okay. It's on four at the moment. But I was just interested. I was just interested in knowing what it's only like sixty reviews because like who reviews an Amazon video? But I just was interested in like what the what the masses what like what they not people on Twitter mm. not people writing you know articles like what is it about about the show that people didn't like and it, so many people think that it's rushed that it seemed rushed huh. that the choices were rushed right do we agree because I think at some points it feels like we're hanging around forever on nothing mm-hmm. and that's why I feel predominantly about these middle episodes is that I sometimes I feel like I'm going crazy I know because there's so much I want to see and I'm like we talked about it uh, last week this thing of like you know, we want to know more about the family. We want to know about the dynamics. We want to know more about things that we haven't seen that might have happened, like the holidays. We want references to things. You know, we want more from characters we already know, like Brady. Yeah. And then when you have all these, like, tennis storylines and dinners with Naya and her friends, and it's like, yeah, maybe in two seasons' time or mm. even next season, mm. we might love Naya and, and care about Naya enough to like have a separate storyline with her friends, but ultimately we've only seen her for a collective maybe eighteen minutes now. It's mad, Joyce. and to spend this much time with her is weird. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I don't like that, Andre. <laughs> Andre Richard. <laughs> He's very hot. He is hot, but I don't understand why I have to spend so much time with him. <laughs> I don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, these episodes I'd forgotten that they were. They are the weakest. They are the weakest. And actually the thing that saves them is Seema. Thank God yeah. for Seema. That actor, I mean, she fucking showed up for work, didn't she? I hope she takes over the world next. I'm kind of obsessed with her. I went on a bit of a Google. Yeah, She's just so beautiful and she's so charming and she brings so much life to a scene. Yeah. And she, you were so right last, last week when you said she just, she brings a taste of old Sex in the City back. Yeah. And... She just, her clothes are incredible. I love her face. Her delivery is brilliant. She's just adorable. And I what's, love her. What's wonderful about her as well, and what the, the gold dust they've really struck, and I, I would be so curious to know whether they met, they, they had a sort of character, a loose sort of garment sort of written, and then they met her, and then everything was tailored around her, because like, she, her character does the same jobs as Samantha, in mm. that... She's dating, she's sexy, she's sort of like on the scene more than anybody else is. Mm. And that's what we get from Samantha. And like putting putting Carrie on dating apps and stuff is something Samantha would do. Yes, exactly. But the tone with which she delivers it is so different to Kim Cattrall and so different to that characterization. Mm. It, it doesn't feel like some kind of stale... Not at all. You know, yeah. thing. No, oh. you're so right. It's a totally different kind of hyperfem. Yes. Whereas Samantha was more alpha... There's something yeah. about Seema that's slightly softer, but still very powerful. I love her. I love her. And basically everything she wears, I want to wear. <gasps> the leopard print oh. suit she wears. Gorgeous. Incredible. Our manifesto. We are not here to relentlessly slag off the show because patchy sex in the city is better than no sex in the city. And if you can hear that strange noise in the background, <laughs> it's Caroline's sassy terrier. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> as with the original podcast, we're going to be looking back on this series as a whole piece of work and so may not discuss every plot point, fan reaction or news headline that emerged while the show was airing. 
We're going to talk about the elements of the series that most interested us rather than going through it with a fine tooth comb. And we are not here to take the piss out of actors for being over 50. We may not have loved and just like that the most, Caroline, but... We certainly tried to love it the most. <laughs> and like there's a, a real quality and I think I think this is a, a real uh, thing behind this entire podcast Sentimental Garbage as a whole is that loving things that other people hate feels good yeah <laughs> it feels good to love the last teddy bear left behind in a charity shop yeah you know why do we love that I don't know it's funny because like I get so many suggestions for this and people suggest things like um like Lily Blonde comes up a lot and I love that movie but I feel like there's no room for me there because everyone loves that movie because yeah. it's great and it was great the day it came out and it's totally. great now you know? yeah but there's something in the the deep flaws of and just like that that is making me love it more like a three-legged greyhound so the um episode four some of my best friends I remembered this, and I remember we talked about it last week as being the most painful one. It's just because of that dinner party scene. The rest of the episode is okay, I think, though. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love to spend our Saturdays talking about a show we find only okay. I've, li- I've literally, there's so many train closures today, <laughs> and I've travelled for 90 minutes to sit with Caroline. <laughs> to discuss for Why? hours, <laughs> to analyse for hours a show that we think is okay. <laughs> Why? What prison have we made for ourselves? Um, <laughs> okay, let's talk about the flat because that's something we, we like. We did. We, lo- we love her waking up in her flat. Yeah, it's magic. However, we both noticed this, the wallpaper. I just wish for some reason... That we could just forget that that redecoration in the first movie happened. I think it's been redecorated since then. Really? That Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen wallpaper. The big blue flowers. That is new. So there's no excuse because that looks like a hangover from the mid-noughties. And it's not, I don't think. Oh, my God. Oh, my. The humanity. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but then we get and this is one of the things that the um the show really understood that it's what we wanted to to borrow some very dated parlance from teenagers they understood the assignment <laughs> um uh which is we get these little crevices of the sex and city world that we always knew existed but we never got to see before and we see her in her bodega getting her coffee that paired with the seeing the hallway made me wet my knickers why why did it make Why? me so excited? When I saw that hallway, I was like, "It!" I can't tell you how much it felt like there was a new dimension. I know. I will watch the world. three awkward dinner party scenes with Charlotte York if I can just see another glimpse of the hallway. I wonder why they made that choice. It must have been, there must have been a reason. Yeah. And it's so weird because like we're, we're clever people and you've made a TV show and we know that these are our sets. And and yet anything that makes us feel or reassures us that this is part of a real world mm. really excites us. And when she goes into the bodega wearing like a pyjama top and a petticoat tutu. Yeah, I love the tutu. The continuing narrative of the tutu in this show, that moves me. It moves me too. <laughs> <laughs> what is it, do you think? I don't know. There's something about the idea of like... When I really think about the kind of things that I want to buy now, like to treat myself, mm. just like nothing 
that's like practical. But if I would like buying something to celebrate something for my birthday, or whatever, yeah. it's like you know, for my birthday last year, I bought myself a dear Monty little like handbag, yeah. or I love like you know stupid things pink cowboy boots or love and there's something that's very moving to me that that's exactly the thing that i would have wanted when i was five and it's exactly the thing i wanted when i was 13 and it's exactly the thing i wanted when i was in my late teens and i think that there's something about this idea of the essence of what we love and who we are that that is expressed aesthetically and our taste in things basically kind of being an inherent part of us forever but evolving with womanhood there's something yeah God, <laughs> did you pick that up on your long 90-minute train journey? Because it's very good. Thanks. I think this is what happens when we do record the podcast and we drink tea rather than vodka. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do get that. In that thing of, I, I, I had this real moment during lockdown where um, I suddenly got very, you'll remember this, very interested in Barbie. She's she's behind us right now on her special display stand and please tell the listeners what she's wearing on her feet. She is wearing, uh, and you bought them for her. <laughs> <laughs> she's wearing uh, the pink shoes that uh, Miranda's water famously broke on. But I can't, I don't, can't believe I found those exact Louboutins, tiny Louboutins on eBay for a Barbie. But anyway, you got, in, you got deep into Barbie again. I really, like, I'm really into the history of her because I always loved her. And um, then obviously the putting away of childish things, etc. Yeah. But like, just like really bedding into the history and just like, I deleted Twitter and Instagram from my phone for a few months during the really like deep, bad mental health time of the yeah. pandemic. And I had the eBay app instead. So instead of looking at tweets or Instagram, I would look at vintage Barbies online and just learn more about them. It was so cute. And you used to watch those YouTube videos. I know! <laughs> what were on those videos, actually? I never really... You, yeah, because you never took on the link ever. Because <laughs> I hate people sending me links. I do too. Um, it would it would be like, um, you know, uh, trends of, of the 80s. Oh, okay, or, cool. Or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you got... I remember you telling me about there was this one special edition Barbie that had this, like plump top lip that's yeah. now particularly valuable <laughs> yeah I think this is a very adorable side of you but I hope it's <laughs> a very adorable segue for this podcast because people are going to be pissed but I, I what exactly what you said is that like you know Carrie Bradshaw loved loved tutus when she was a child and she loved them when she was 30 and she loves them now when she's 55 yeah you wanted pin cowboy boots when you're eight and you want them when you're 18 yeah like yeah. they're 33 like I I love that there's something that just never goes away. Mm. And that's really beautiful because so much about our lives and our bodies change. Yeah. And when that root little girl, it can still be present. Totally. And also there's something lovely about that, that like there is a a refusal I find in this this, um, iteration of Sex and the City. There is a refusal to make them grow up gracefully. Yeah. Like, yeah, they you don't know, have it all together. No, which is nice. they don't. They are, but the thing is, they're extraordinarily wealthy. Yeah. But they're still awkward and weird. Yeah. And they're wearing mad clothes and they're making bad decisions in love. And yeah. they're, and I I really applaud that. Yeah. But I, but I also understand equally how it's so confusing for people to see a millionaire yes. be an idiot totally. at 55. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like the, the one that really um, jarred me this time, I can't remember if it's this episode where it's um her buying that new flat 
Yeah. Basically to be polite to Seema. She's like, I don't know, Seema's shown me like 15 flats. I'm going to buy this one I hate. That probably cost yeah. like $15 million. I tell you the bit that on the same vein that sort of lost me is I think it's in this episode where Seema inexplicably is like, you want to sell the apartment? Well, you got to redecorate it. And that's not questioned by anyone. Oh, yeah. It's like insane level of wealth that one must redecorate their home to sell it. And it's like, well, that's normal. That's normal. Yeah. Get rid of everything. It's so it's so weird. You're right. It's so I understand the criticism, even though if academically, I, I also appreciate that these mm. women are 55 year old millionaires who are also idiots. <laughs> So she goes into the bodega and a very important uh, thing happens for me personally. Oh, yes. Yes, I saw you being very moved by this on the dock. It wasn't so much moved as excited. <laughs> it is exciting. It's exciting. Yeah. Because often... I always suspected it, actually. I didn't dare to dream. <laughs> because we find out her name is Caroline. And uh, and her, her bodega guy calls her Caroline. It's very sweet. But, you know, often Americans are called Carolyn. Mm. And I, I assumed that must be it. But no, so it was a very beautiful moment for me. Case closed. Case closed. Her name is Caroline Bradshaw. <laughs> Delighted. <laughs> I want to talk about something important. And it's um, the wig budget. Oh, yeah. This might be your, your best observation so far, I think. I wish you hadn't put it in my head now because it literally it's it all it I think bit. about when I watch it. So it's it's no secret that basically everyone you see on TV is wearing either a wig or extensions, right? Like uh, it's a, a big part of, you know, why we think Sarah Jessica Parker looks so beautiful and she does is because she's got all that thick, beautiful golden hair. Yeah. And I'm otherworldly. Oh, ethereal, gorgeous. And like that's definitely You're going to be going that way. I reckon. You will, you'll be fine. Mm. I will not. I'll be getting one of those Gok Wan choppy bobs. Or you'll get, um, you'll get a ponytail that you'll pin on. Yeah, yeah, oh gosh. Anyway, go on, horse lady. <laughs> but no, like, nobody at 55 has hair that thick, no. so she must be wearing bundles of human hair, and that's extensions, whatever. And those are expensive. And yes, it's the most expensive show ever made, probably, next to Game of Thrones, so that makes sense. Miranda, meanwhile, in Return of the Shit Lid... <laughs> Looks like she's wearing an Andy Warhol wig that's been combed with a wet comb. You said it looks like an Andy Warhol wig for a school play. Someone's playing Andy Warhol in their GCSE yeah. <laughs> drama. It's so bad. I wish you hadn't said that Andy Warhol thing because it, it's so uncanny. Yeah. And the way, like, it doesn't even really, it's not really flush with her forehead no, at all. It's, it's, it's not flush with her forehead. No. And it's, and, and that thing of like, there are tricks there. I've, I've worn wigs in the past to parties. There are tricks you can do. You can sort of pl- pluck out the sort of front of the hairline to make it look a bit more natural. And mm, a bit more no, like they did none of that. They did none of that. Yeah, they did none of that. And also, her makeup's all a bit funny. It's funny. They did not, but it's like this, it's it's reassuringly um synchronic it's reassuringly synchronized from Sex in the City that like they just didn't give Cynthia Nixon enough time in hair and makeup like they did with everyone else. Is it is it because Miranda is so the like the character is supposed to most resemble us and therefore the character they love to punish the most. Maybe that she looks like the most 
like a normal woman. She's yeah. a beautiful woman, yeah. Cynthia Nixon. So there's one scene where she's wearing, it's when she bumps into Che and Che said that they've done a bunch of weed and that's why they <laughs> didn't respond to the DM. Where she has these like heavy yeah. lids, these this heavy dark eyeshadow on her lids. And I do just think like, I just it's just frustrating when I watch it because I think Cynthia Nixon is such a beautiful and, woman. Uh, you go on Cynthia Nixon's Instagram and she looks like Tilda Swinton. Like she's yeah. like in this incredible tailoring, incredible, you know, I don't yeah. know. It's so rare that you see an actor look better in her real life. Yeah. Than when she's been prepared for screen for several hours. Yeah. Very strange. Before we meet Seema in this episode, and she does come in, uh, we have another sort of like meal with the three girls. And I do sort of think, I don't know if you feel the same, that the three of them at a meal together feels weird still. Do you know, it doesn't for me. Really? They're the bits I look forward to the most. Yeah. But there's a very specific type of meal that is really, that I find very rooting in Sex and the City, mm. which uh, Michael Patrick King um, wished on about on the podcast, which is the old, which I didn't even realise until he said it, the old Sex in the City format was mm. the four girls would congregate at the coffee shop mm. really high up top, like within the first five minutes. Mm. And they would say, so this is what I'm doing at the moment. And mm. then the other one would say, I'm doing this. And then the other one would say, I'm hoping to do this. And it's like they set out their objectives for that episode mm -hmm. and they advise each other and then that you with the voiceover of Carrie you work out that like oh they thematically link somehow there's yeah. a professional storyline and a sex storyline in a relationship one and they all kind of link and I think I they do it twice I think in this series they do it in the final episode and they do it in this one where up top we're given this here's what my journey is for this episode mm. and I just really grounds me then we get Seema and her license plate says Seema NYC. Do you think that there's, uh, this might be a bit film studies of me. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's anything in how phonetically similar Seema and Samantha are? Do they mean that, do you think? Or do they realise it halfway through that they were doing it? Who knows? Who knows? I just pose the questions. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone can have a big chew over it. <laughs> That's what being cerebral is, Caroline. We just ask these questions. <laughs> um, uh, the, and the whole thing, her showing her apartment, the, the, the looming ghost of the Peloton is like the oh, fucking horrible, Marley Brothers and Christmas Carol in this. It's horrible, that Peloton. The shadow of the Peloton. Uh, I tell you what, I do quite like the idea of though. Okay. A spa bathroom. Ooh, I know. When she says, I love this spa bathroom, I suddenly like, quite violently realised suddenly that, like, I needed a spa bathroom. What's the definition of a spa bathroom? Like, very marbly. Yeah. And enormous shower. Yeah. Well, we saw him snuff it in the shower, didn't yeah, that's we? That's true. Is it like basically it a wet room, kind of? Wet room, but enormous. And it yeah. was a nice silver lining, actually, to sort of <laughs> see that lovely shower with the lovely rainforest shower head. Yeah. I just really could, yeah. I've never even thought about having a bathroom that resembled a spa. And then when Seema said it, I was like, it is barbaric that I've never had that. <laughs> it's barbaric. How do you expect you to live? One of my favourite things when I was uh, re-listening to um, our last episode was you referring to Jackie consistently as that Jackie. I just hate him. 
Why can you help me understand why I hate him so much? Because he makes me sad to be a human, but also like to be a writer. Like I'm sad someone wrote him. I'm sad. Like it makes me sad and ashamed, actually. That's true. The idea that, like, sometimes I, you know, when you're passing like a particularly depressing high street mm. where all the shops are a bit shit, yeah. and you go like, all of those shops started out as someone's dream. One, yeah. and now it's just this sort of shit. All. That's how I feel about chatting. Cha- yeah, it's like yeah. every time as authors and as writers we come up with a new character, we think of like, oh, here's what this scene needs. Yeah. And here's who they're going to be. And they're going to be so like brilliant. And, and here's my vision for them. And here's my inspiration for them. Yeah. And here's a person we've never seen before, but also is so familiar. I yeah. have like, in one way, never met Jackie. <laughs> in real life. And also have seen a character like that for a million years. Yeah. Like it's somehow so unbelievable and so cliched, that character. Oh, that's so well booked. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's like it, the closest thing I think of it. It, it reminds me of um, those scenes in early John Apatow movies. Like not that's stuff. exactly. Uh, that's what I was thinking. When it would cut to like Seth Rogen's house chair, and yeah. there's just some guy babbling away in the background, just being with a really bomb. High. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and like maybe his sort of his his role would be to say like one sort of slightly gross thing or gross out the girlfriend or something. Yeah. And then we'd never see him again. But then I just resent having to see so much of him. It's like, imagine the worst character is knocked up. You follow them to work every day. <laughs> and there's also a scene where I think we see him on his own in his apartment. With his girlfriend. Why? <laughs> Why? Why? That Jackie. That Jackie. That I Jackie. That Jackie. <laughs> Um, I can't believe that Che bore the brunt of all criticism and Jackie got off so scot-free. Did not see one meme about that, Jackie. You've stumbled on something very important. <laughs> I like, you literally lost for words for a second. There. Do you know what it is? Patriarchy. It's the patriarchy! Because at the end of the day, Che has a pussy. <laughs> and so we can be mean to them. <laughs> but fucking Jackie, yeah. scot-free. Yeah. And th- like... There are some fucking dodgy lines that that actor really tries their best with. Do you know what I mean? Like, I really felt that on this these sagging middle episodes, yeah. re-watching them. I really felt like, God, that actor really, really managed to humanise. Yeah, what is, like, a fairly unevenly written character. Yeah, because I think there are moments when Che is... Super attractive. Attractive yeah. and charming. And and it's like an assault course of obstacles to that get in the way of that character being at all likable. There's literally a whole. They're a good scene. actor, right? I do they're, think they're, they're, they're a brilliant. very good actor. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're on Grey's Anatomy is the thing they became famous for. Um, I I don't watch that show, so I don't know. Um, but the fact that like we get a whole scene of. Che talking about their Crohn's disease or something. Oh my God, that scene. With Miranda and being like, oh, um, you know, I used to get really constipated and now I'm free and I say whatever I want. So now I'm just shitting all the time and it's great. And And that's meant to be like the hot, flirty The charming, meet cute sort of Harry and Sally in the diner type of Yes, exactly. Yeah. We're getting fucking Crohn's disease. Or sorry, diverticulitis. I had to I had to Google diverticulitis. Mm. Apparently it's basically Crohn's disease. Mm. But what? Like where I'm the love interest and Mm. you're giving me this. And I'm a comedian. Like they literally come in on that scene and that character is like, and then (laughs) 
The consultants said Dyke of Trichilitis and my dad thought it was Dyke. <laughs> yeah. It's like, this is really... Although, to be fair, I was thinking, actually, as I was, I was watching these episodes about how difficult it is to write. Like, it's hard enough to write real-life comedy. Like, yeah. how difficult it is to write little bits within a fake show. And I was thinking about what you always say about Mrs. Maisel. I thought you always, I thought I got it from you. No, no, you you once did a very funny Mrs. Maisel, because I love Mrs. Maisel, and you were like, I like Mrs. Maisel, but I'm a bit done with watching her on stage being like, and then I burnt the brisket! <laughs> and everyone pissing themselves. <laughs> that Che, che and Mrs. Maisel's um, yeah. comedy is... From the same school, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> and maybe I just find very... Specific, I mean, maybe I have like a tin ear for lots of comedy and like it's such a specific thing and maybe people do find that stuff uh, interesting but like this thing of like I just don't great comedy can have lots of inflections of the personal and like taking things from real life yes. and stylizing them but like with, especially with, with both Maisel and Che it does seem like especially Maisel I'm coming on stage and I I've had a bit of a weird evening and I, I don't know what I'm gonna say but I guess my mother is having sex Whoa! <laughs> The yeah. beats of it are always the same. Yes, exactly. It's yeah. so it's so difficult to capture the sort of the the verve of stand-up why, comedy. Why don't they get if I were writing a show with a character that was a stand-up, I would hire a stand-up yeah. to write. There's enough of them. I would like put I would put so much budget on that to like just and they would have had as I keep saying, they would have had an enormous budget. Yeah. Why did they not get like an SNL writer? He wouldn't even have had to be credited, like as a consultant to just like write or give them some bits of stand up. That's what they should have done. It makes no sense because if we compare it to, um, and I, I know that we said that we would, you know, go through these episodes sort of as they chronologically, but I think if we're fine just bouncing around yeah, like yeah. this, we've all seen these things. Um, when they get the publishing world so pitch perfect and so right, perfect. that book meeting she has, every single thing about it feels so real mm. first of all going going in and the sort of um the pop the editor being very like look here are the tear marks i lost my oh god like i was crying da, da, da. and then that sort of sneaky thing of how editors speak of like just one change i think mm. it's totally doable mm. and uh for anyone you know I, lo- I love every editor i've ever worked with they're all very fantastically talented people but if an editor ever says to you that just one change and i think it's totally doable it means they're going to ask you to do something that you hate and they want you to do it in two days. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. That's a good translate. For, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then the, she goes in and then even like the way she goes into that little like cafe area that's in the publishers that you sometimes get in places like Hachette or whatever. It was so well observed. And then the book covers on the iPad. It's like everything. I can mm. see this is a real meeting. You put so much work into mm. making this part. This industry seems so real. And then, like, it seems like you Googled the word comedy for, yeah. Yeah. for Chase things. Or, like, saw an episode of Seinfeld from 20 years ago and then put some sort of identity politics sprinkled on top of it. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, I don't get it. Here's my theory. It's actually part of a larger theory that I may have shared on this podcast before, which is that I think that all writers are one of three frustrated professions. Yeah, I love this so much. There are failed film directors, there are failed musicians, and there are failed stand-up comedians. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to cast aspersions on any particular writer. 
you you and I, for example, are both failed rock stars. Yeah, 100%. I remember you saying this to me and I was like, yeah, tracks. Tracks. We just like want everyone to sing along and we want to be musicians, but yeah. we can't be for some reason. And yet we both still insist on our respective Instagram channels on slightly telling people we are musicians. <laughs> I know. I always have like bad days where I like share pictures of me and the band from seven years ago. The number of times I've had a low day and I put up some, like, me playing some out-of-tune fucking Joni Mitchell thing and then I put it up there and I immediately regret it. Exactly. And I'll get, like, one person reply being like, this is sweet. <laughs> <laughs> you look like you're having fun. Yes, exactly. And I'm like, no, guys, I'm a musician. I mean, I'm not a novelist or a podcaster. <laughs> I am a musician. And I always have these mad fantasies about when I, like, do really well at something, I'm going to rent a studio band and make an album. <laughs> Yeah, I've got a lot of those fancies that are very unsavoury. But the reason I bring it up is because I think there are probably, particularly in TV writing, a lot of writers who are failed comedians. Yes. And so they think they could have been a comedian. Maybe they even did some sets when they first moved to New York or something. Yeah. And so they think they can write stand-up comedy for TV. I think that's very true. And I think... And this is casting no shade because I adore her. I think Samantha Irby, who is one of the writers, mm -hmm. might be one of those people. Okay. And I yeah. and I think actually in the Samantha Irby episodes, I feel proper old Sex in the City soul because mm. she's very good at one-liners. Yeah. And she's very good at stretching out little metaphors. So like, you know, the episode where Carrie, um, where Miranda gets her, the book that says like how to stop drinking like a woman. Mm. And then they go into this whole little bit where it's like, oh, how do you stop drinking like a woman? Do you like curtsy at the bottle of vodka that gets paid more than you for doing the same thing or whatever? Yeah, yeah, that, it was funny, I enjoyed that. It's just very old Sex in the City. And I think that's where like they really spent their money well with hiring mm. Samantha Irby because in those moments, Whatever comedy chops she has, I don't know about her like comedy background, mm. but she is a comic writer, mm. and her as a comic, I just think really infuses the show with this like really great energy. But that person still would not be able to write convincing stand up. Yeah. Oh, and we see quite a lot of it in the series, right? Yeah. We see Che at the charity auction, and it's. It, it feels like a Jerry Seinfeld impression. Like, it's the whole, like, hands in the pockets. Kind of like, <laughs> what about, what about that? Mm, I'll be out of your hair in five minutes. <laughs> and it just, it just doesn't, yeah, I don't know. We're, we're, we're ragging on old Che. <laughs> I know. But the reason we brought Che up in the first place was because Sarah Rodriguez does their very best with some very totally. middling and sometimes quite embarrassing material. Meanwhile, that Jackie... <laughs> That Jackie, just to go back to that Jackie. Where are those fucking memes and t-shirts about Jackie and his comedy cop? Also, what is Jackie's job? Who is Jackie? <laughs> but seriously, what, what, what are we meant to think his job is? Is he a... He's a, he's a co-host on this Yeah, but thing. that's not a job. What's the I, thing? I assume he's supposed to be a stand-up comedian also. That's what I've taken from it. Right. But this whole thing where, like, they're having a meeting about their social media for the podcast um with with the, the three of them and two producers and, and one and that, of them yeah. is having a go at, at Carrie for not Instagramming even though her husband's just died. Which I've I say it's a lot in the doc, something that would happen to you. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Yeah. You could literally have been in a plane crash and lost the use of all your of your all your limbs, and somebody would send you a mean email about not Instagramming something. Yeah, and then and then uh, Jackie and the woman have a massive fight. Yeah, and about apparently they shagged, and then she ghosted him. But it's like this really loud and like. Not funny and not no. charming. It's just weird. But then that does give a segue for old Ricky Martin. <laughs> What's his name? The producer. <laughs> What's his name? I don't think, yeah. The, 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 the discreetly hot producer that is sort of like... The love of Carrie's life who she interacts with twice. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so he, the minute that he pops, Ricky Martin. the minute Rick, he does look like Ricky Martin. The minute Ricky Martin pops his head in and twinkles, going "Young lovey," and Carrie holds his gaze, I'm like, "Oh, that's where this is going." Yeah, I did. It was so planted that bit. Yeah. Did you see that coming? Oh, absolutely. I think, we, I think even from that first episode where we see him at the sound desk, I think people were like, "Him, someone's gonna shag him." Someone. What? I don't why she wasted all that time with the teacher the mealy mouth teacher I don't when actually that that's like sacred story space where maybe that guy the producer guy yeah maybe he's lost someone or maybe he's going through a divorce or something and maybe like he becomes an unexpected counsellor for yeah. her and then they get close and then it's like an unexpected like why waste the time with the teacher it's such a good question. I don't get it. I tell you what, making a show has really sharpened your instincts. Oh, thanks. You're become a much harder woman. <laughs> it's hardened me. Hardened you. Last year's hardened me. Can I be honest with you? You're like 30 years old. <laughs> you look 30 years old. They're our favourite girls quote of all time. <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, why? Yeah. Why? I don't get why it. Why could we not have like had this drip, drip, drip feed mm. of of and maybe even like before Big dies, they have a workplace flirt. That's and, it. And Carrie's even like, oh, he's just my work boyfriend. It's fine. It's just this thing. Big thing. Yeah. It's funny. Ha ha ha. Yeah. Kind of thing. And then that's suddenly becoming a little bit uncomfortable once Big is dead. Her distancing herself from the flirt. Him trying to be like we could have had this beautiful song. Keep, keep, go, yes. keep going, I like yeah. it. Keep yeah. going. Yeah, he tries to sort of like help her grieve or whatever, or try to be nice, and she's a bit like, "Stop being nice. It makes me fancy you, and I don't want to fancy yeah. you because yeah. I have a dead husband." And, da -da. and like maybe he has stepkids, and she or maybe he has kids, and she can have stepkids. And what would Carrie be like with that? But instead, we have all this time with this teacher who seems very nice, but we never see. We're never gonna see him again. I hate the teacher. Really, I do. I do. <laughs> I do. I don't. Do you know what I don't like about the teacher on this watch? That on the Tinder profile, it says, like, whatever his name is, Dan53, widower. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> Tighten up. <laughs> Why? No, that's unfair. Why, Why do I not like the teacher? Tighten up. I think I do. He's fine. He's a fine actor. I think I just don't know anything about that character. Like, it's so mad to me that they go in for the date and they say two lines to each other and then we see nothing of the date. And then we see them come out of the place screaming, laughing. Something's gone wrong there. Something's gone wrong. I mean, I'm sure they must have shot the whole date and been like, this is bad. There's nothing here. And we know it's going nowhere. So we're just going to cut it. Surely. Oh. Oh, I'd be interested in that. Well, maybe they didn't. Maybe he was always only ever the like gateway. The into red herring her. sort of. Yeah, the red herring and the gateway into her thinking of what like a romantic life in her 50s will be like. Yeah. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I guess. I do like the whole thing of her having to go on a date to provide some note of hope at the end of her book. I believed it. That happened to me with my memoir. What? My editor, who I adore, in our first ever meeting after she took the book on, she said it would be really fabulous if you met someone before the final chapter. And I was like, that would be fabulous if you could organise that. <laughs> I remember um, my, my best Mela, who also writes memoir, when she was writing her most recent one, she was like, you're really handy if you could get pregnant by the end of this. <laughs> You know, death, birth, life, you know, it would be good. Yeah, but it is It is definitely, it is realistic. You're so right that it's so realistic, that whole, yeah. everything about that editor and that conversation and the process is so realistic. Because memoir isn't autobiographical. Like, it's obviously autobiographical, but mm. it's not autobiography. It's like... Memoir is fiction and fiction is memoir. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's fictionalised reality, in, t- in, in not in terms of what happens and what's described, but in terms of how you structure it and how you tell the story. Like, it's narrativized. So I, I, I don't think editors see that there is such a big leap in saying, like, well, look, you were going to have a baby anyways. Can you just not do it now? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Especially if they're, like, paying a lot of money for something. Yeah. And they, think yeah. It, and they really do think they can... Put it on the shelves by Christmas. Let's just let's just sit in that in in loved and lost. Oh, I loved it. I lo- I oh, that's another bit I was moved by that you didn't move you so much. Oh, and I was. I you were like moved. Her, the Carrie at her desk, uh, writing. Yeah, I felt it too. As a writer as well, I felt it yeah. too. It was like one of those because writing is such an undramatic thing to see on mm. screen. Like I always remember that. That Diane Keaton, Jack Nicholson film. What is it? Something's Gotta Give. Something's Gotta Give, where she writes a a play about him. Mm. And, like, showing her writing it is so mad. It's like like a really long montage of her at different tables on on different computers just crying with, like, a really long song playing over the top. And I remember watching that being like, our job is, like, feels so exciting and such a privilege and such an emotional roller coaster, and it is the most boring thing to watch. It really... And I love how they sort of let that happen with the seasonal changing by her window thing and the Carly Simon song. and That's a good song. Yeah. They chose a good song there. Yeah, it was good. I think there's something about it that I just felt like it made me feel so lucky to have our profession because you've seen her go through this horrific, life-changing thing. And then finally, you and I kept saying to each other, like, we just wanted to write. Like, why isn't yeah. she writing? And then you see her, like, 
go to this place, this like private, this private space that writers get to have. It's just such an amazing it, thing. It really is. And again, a moment where we really miss the voiceover, you know? Oh, so much. And and that thing, it's such a tease because that whole thing with um, the editor being like, wow, this is a real departure for your writing and like your readers are going to be really surprised by this. I was just desperate to hear even one or two sentences of like what it was or what she was writing or how she was phrasing all of this. Because it looked like a big book. <laughs> and they can do that really well. They can't, because yeah. like that's the whole premise of Sex in the City is you're hearing her columns every week. Exactly. And like they were really well written. Like Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's always been a big bugbear for me, actually, that I don't think we got to explore on the first series, which is it always annoyed me that people were so shitty about Carrie's writing. Mm. And particularly her I couldn't help but wonders and all that kind mm. of stuff. And it's like being calmest is hard. <laughs> think that they did a really good job like some of those metaphors that they used in the wordplay and the yeah. way that they would like find pick a theme and then they would find a different way of exploring that through every yeah. woman like that's masterful yeah why like why are we shitting all over ourselves is what i think about a lot yeah you know, there's like it's, carrie Bratch is a good writer i think I, yeah. I know it's again it's part of the the age-old thing of people hating on that character because they're jealous <laughs> <laughs> so much of what we do is driven by envy and yeah and I think did you read that Candace Bushnell article that came out recently where she talked about sort of getting paid some ridiculous amount of money no I heard lots of people t- talking about it yeah like. and people were just incensed by it and this thing of like yeah for celebrity journalists in the 90s they yeah. could earn a lot of money yeah. I'm sorry it's not that way now yeah. but it's not their fault <laughs> I love when you're in that sort of mood <laughs> I love it's, it's my favorite Caroline mood. Well, indignant Reaganite, <laughs> Reaganite boomer. Yeah, that's exactly Just it. Just me thinking everyone should be rewarded hugely for very little work, <laughs> but in a very steady and calm voice. I love it. Do you know what I saw on Instagram this week that made me so happy? Mm. Candice Bushnell, nearly she must be nearly sixty now. I think, mm. maybe even a bit older, in a red Baywatch swimsuit. Oh. Just being photographed, just for no reason. Heaven. Just adore her. Yeah. She must not know of the anguish of anguish of this world. No, she must not know. There are people who are like We that. feel quite strongly about this, Caroline and I. We feel like there's one particular woman that we know. She's so glamorous. Mm. And she's so 90s in her essence, isn't she? She is. And I don't want her to know about... Any yeah. global conflict. And she's the exact sort of woman that um, will will accidentally do a, a well-meaning but quite clunky and in, and slightly inappropriate uh, thing on Instagram. And people will be like, oh, for fuck's sake, come on, you're, you're wearing Prada loafers or whatever. And uh, and she'll get very hurt by it. And you and I will be like, no. Yeah. And also... <laughs> it's not her fault. It's not her fault. You asked this of her. She didn't want to do that. Yeah. She didn't want to do an Instagram post about fucking capitalism. <laughs> She just wants to wander around in her Prada shoes. Let her be. Yeah. We've, too many of us are too entrenched. <laughs> we have too many opinions on the horrors of the world. I don't want Candice... Let her be the startled fawn wandering around the forest. And we need let them. us uh, just take our breaths when we see her. <laughs> don't make her comment on things. Don't make her comment on things. Don't make her take public transport. Don't make her give any money to charity. <laughs> 
<laughs> Unless it's something really obscure, just like teaching children ballet. Yeah, something. yeah. <laughs> something really obscure. But I feel the same with Candice Bushnell. Yeah, she, and Carrie. I don't want her to be normal. That when Carrie starts cooking that asparagus and salmon, I don't want her to have to do anything mundane or domestic. Mm-mm. She's above it. She's <laughs> She is an exotic, beautiful dodo yeah. that will one day be stuffed in a museum behind glass and we will all stare at her. So she must not... Her last days on this earth must be preserved. She must not participate in all the nonsense. I never want to know that Carrie has ever rung Thames water to pay a bill. There are certain domestic things that I will accept Carrie doing. For example... Her like, do you remember season one, her like painting her gaff? Yeah, like, yeah. Because she's stressed. Or getting her like shoes rehealed. That little yeah. dollhouse activity that I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so fine true. with. But like her having like a situation with a council tax or no. having to read. Let us worry paper. about that. Yeah, that's for us. <laughs> the mulish, <laughs> the mulish ugly women. <laughs> We we get to worry about all that, but they mustn't worry about it. They must not. But Candy's Bushnell has This is not an just like that podcast. This is our our very niche personal thoughts about other women in the world. Candy's Bushnell refuses to participate in the like mundanity and bureaucracy of life. Yeah. And I love that for I her. I love that for her. <laughs> Beautiful. Where are we in terms of discussing this actual TV show? <laughs> Right. Um, we need to we need to touch on the thing we don't want to touch on, which is Charlotte's awful dinner party. Oh, do we have to? We have Maybe to. Do not. We, no, I think we do a bit. Have to talk about it. <laughs> You're right. We have to a bit. I think we're not carrying candies. We we cannot circumvent the uncomfortable conversations of life. I think, as 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 was discussed in our last episode. There's nothing that you and I find more amusing than Charlotte York's robot delivery. And I guess when you haven't been keeping that muscle flexed in terms of your 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 craft, maybe it just does get worse. <laughs> yeah. The robot delivery is so mad. Yeah. It's so on fire in these episodes. In that dinner scene when she's like, Lisa has a very good collection of art. <laughs> It has been a good investment. It's like a sat nap. <laughs> it's something because it's not German. I know but why. It's, it's like wherever you're at, she's doing Anna Delvey or something. But but the robot delivery is made is it makes this this episode even worse because her yeah. frantically trying to befriend black people oh. that her neighbor who she tries to browbeat into being her friend it's made feel it feels like it's get out yeah and it, it wants to be curb your enthusiasm such a good read yeah yeah it wants to be like oh, we're sending up the silly white person, look how self-aware we're being. And actually it's sinister as hell. <laughs> I hate, That's I hate that whole bit. Monica said something on uh, Monica's ass, which ah, I yes, enjoyed. Monica's ass, I haven't got to mention yet. Where she was talking about Charlotte's moment of going through the artists. And if you look over there, we have a very exciting, when she's pointing oh, at yeah. different paintings. And Monica just said, Wow, what a special moment for the white lady. Oh, and that is what it is, isn't it? That is what it is. And like I I do want it's it's the most embarrassing thing about it is the the Wow, Charlotte, you were so worried about not having enough black friends in your life. 
but you didn't realize that black allyship was in your heart all along. And you knew about black art this whole time. It's so weird. And like undercuts its own attempts at satire by yeah. by having this really kind of gooey moment, like of Yeah, and this and the strangeness of the of the confession. Ah, yeah. And then when LTW is like, well, I was nervous about you being the only white couple. It's like Oh no, but this isn't how it works. This isn't. I can. I can't tell. I haven't watched that scene twice now with that confession at the end. First of all, like, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> don't. Don't bring that to don't your bring black that friends to, or to any of your. Don't bring that to your gay friends. Don't bring don't it to your bring it non-white to, friends of yeah. any description. Don't. Don't bring up your personal fucking meltdowns about quite, like. Structural things with their identity. Do you know yeah, what I mean? It's a weird thing it. to do. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> and like, we're not that advanced, and we, you know, what I mean? <laughs> we're two idiots yes. who do stupid things all the time. Yes. I'm glad yes. we pointed that out. Yes, yeah, that's it's not true. that we're trying to be sort no. of like, here's how to be an ally. People. No, like, no, this no. It seems like quite basic in mm. terms of just being a human in the world. Um, but then I can never tell whether LTWs, um response whether she's joking or she's like oh well I thought no I don't think she I don't think it's written as a joke I think it's written as um and I I really hate the scenes that are like this because there's a scene with Seema and Carrie later that's like this I think it's you learn a lesson I learn a lesson (laughs) we are all the same yeah I hate when that's what the conclusion of a conversation with their new friends is. And you can so see why they do it. It's a thing yeah. of like of, oh, it's showing the audience that like you, we what we were seeing before was a surface friendly acquaintanceship. And now because they've had a fight and they both taught each other something, they are true friends. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. And it's like... It, like it's this very kind of pat way of showing friendship evolving on screen that doesn't happen in real life. No, no. If I've only known someone for like five weeks and then I have a massive fight with them. I was just thinking, I wonder when that's going to happen with us. Like, as you were saying it, I was like, that doesn't yeah. happen in real life. It doesn't. It's quite, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very written, isn't it? It's very, yeah. It's not how friendship really works. No. Like, can we talk about the thing that we really want to talk about? What? Which is... Uh, what kind of documentaries we think LTW makes. Obsessed, being able to think of nothing else for 48 <laughs> hours. You go first. Okay, so I think that her documentaries are on a cable channel that, <laughs> that, we, that we watch, that you watch when you're like in Spain on holiday and the hotel, it's like BBC Worldwide or like um, TCM... Select. I don't know. I've just made yeah, like a really yeah. random channel. Mm-hmm. And then there's a documentary made by Lisa Todd Wexley that is about something that is completely nothing to do with the news. Yeah. Nothing yeah. to do with anything topical. So it will be like an hour and a half documentary on on like a strange news channel mm-hmm. about the hair styles of Elizabeth Taylor. Or, yeah, the jewellery of Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. And it'll be like you, you beautifully shot, and you'll see these amazing jewels or whatever, and these amazing access to people, and you're like, wow, they really got people for this. Yeah. And then it'll be like this kind of narrative thread of like, so as you can see, the jewels were a window into her life. 
Yes, and exactly. This is what she wore in her second wedding to Richard Burton, and we're already seeing a more restrained Liz. Exactly, exactly that. I can so imagine myself coming back from a literary event or something and going into the hotel room, ordering ordering an egg and cress sandwich on room service. At 1am. I know, and like steaming myself in the bath and just like covered in nine towels, just like chin into my chest, watching an LTW documentary. Absolutely. Mm. (laughs) true. Yeah. I, I, I don't even think, I actually, because she's so rich, Although yeah, what's, husband, what do you think? I think, yeah, same thing, basically. I, I, like, um, very lushly shot documentaries about the private lives of very famous women. Yeah. Like a Barbara Hutton or something. Yeah, yeah. And also, like, the occasional, like, oh, like, um, the long history of textile design in Nicaragua. I think it could be a bit worldy. A bit worldy. Yeah. <laughs> a bit things in the world. A bit worldy, yeah. And, like, um... And, Mm. occasionally documentaries that do have kind of an issue like for some reason I think it's all like textiles and things yeah. like um like like a fast fashion type thing or like a oh the patterns that the, um these major brands are stealing from these indigenous creators that are like yes. very like thinky worthy and like interesting what but sort of refrain from pointing the finger too much pointing out injustices but she's not really pointing at anyone yes <laughs> because she is ultimately in the 1% but then where does she make the money? What does her husband do? Um, I think she was nominated for Best Documentary Short when she was about 28. Love this. <laughs> Absolutely. She got one massive scoop on something. Yeah, yeah. She did one of those documentaries where like something extraordinary happened by chance in the middle of it. It's and it made so her like a, it made her like an award winning. It'll be like this is the most excited I've been talking about it. <laughs> It'll be like she found she came across something re- got incredible access to like some archive where like some diary of some dead celebrity is found or whatever, and it was yeah. like wow, this is actually incredible. It's a, a real find, and she yeah. shot something really beautiful around it that was quite short and got a nomination for, yeah. and that propelled her into a huge world. That's all. <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree. I agree. You've nailed that. This is this is. But what does my the... favorite thing to do in the <laughs> me world? Me too. Me too. Yeah. What does the husband do? Can you remember? Oh, I um, I remember the line where Harry says he ran into him on the subway, mm. and he says, "I think he's in case he runs for office, he wants to seem like a man of the people," which was a funny line. Right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, we have to talk about Harry's the only sort of saving grace and all of that. Yeah, Harry in, in these in this sort of episodes, Harry is the best thing next to Seema. Mm. He's great, isn't he? Yeah. I just wish he'd calm Kristen Davis down a bit, take her off to the side and be like, Kristen, come on, we know you're better than this. You know? <laughs> I hope she never listens. I to know, because she's seems such a nice woman. I know. But the deterioration of her craft is visible. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that, I hope she never hears the robot voice. I know. Don't tell her. No. <laughs> no one, to, please, no one message her or tweet her. Yeah. Yeah, be cool, guys. <laughs> be cool. Um, but, yeah, like, the... Um, uh, Harry going to this dinner party with her and him being, like, stopping mental kind of thing. Mm. And I, I throughout, it's just, like, I think what's so... Well, you so see why they fell in love and stayed in love is that his utter lack of pretension mm. and like the way she's obsessed with how people perceive her and the way he is just so comfortable 
Yeah. It remains just very joyful to see. Totally. And actually, they're like the tennis storyline, which we hate so much, mm-hmm. where they have their first and only huge row in yeah. the series where... Because Charlotte won't let him play tennis doubles with her. And then she trips over him or nudges him and then she won't say sorry. Yeah. But the reason why I think they so struggled to find conflict in that couple is because they are so in love and they do have such a refreshingly, convincingly beautiful, sustainable connection. Mm. And actually, like, the, 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 the closest they get to drama is in that scene when they're invited into rock school yeah and the teachers talk to to them about oh i love that their child it's really really good but even then i think like oh there might have been scope as a couple to like show cracks between them but it's like well that's not believable because i think they really would be a united front yeah yeah and i think they are really good parents like i think they really love their kid oh and what's so what really upsets me about that scene oh (laughs) i'm feeling upset um is i love how like and Evan Hander really ties the whole scene together where he's it, it's not about transness it's not really about Rock's identity so much as it is about the the horror and the embarrassment of a, of a stranger telling you about your child yeah um, yeah and I, it's it, very moving that bit you can really see why how jarring that would be he says I think that's the most humbling experience I've ever had as a father and I'm like oh it must be so hard yeah and it like made me feel for you know parents everywhere like you know of of what that must be like the first time someone tells you something about your child that you don't know mm. you know mm. And actually, there's a reason why that's so well written and why it's so beautiful. It's because one of the writers went through that experience, yeah, which yeah, she talks about yeah. yeah, on that podcast. And what I also think on this viewing, I think is so amazing is there is they're aware, the creators and the writers, that this is <clears throat> like kind of the world's biggest stage. Yeah. They, like yeah. in terms of how many people are going to be tuning in, how many like very middle class people are tuning in how many very traditional people are tuning in how many like Mm. that basically there's a very middle of the road Mm. audience for this show and how amazing it would be to like sneakily get some some messages in there and actually they do it in that scene without being messagey they just because what is so powerful to me particularly when I think about like you know, someone like my dad watched and just like that strangely and adored it. Someone like him, like a bloke in his 70s or like, yeah, boomers and Gen X and whatever. Like mm. the thought of seeing the parents say convincingly what so many parents must say, which is like, oh, but what is the, if this is a phase or what mm-hmm. if this is, you know, we're just concerned about our child. And to have this like wall of acceptance from the teachers and the mm. teachers be like, we follow what the child tells us and mm-hmm. we have to listen to the child and then to see like those parents for a moment worry about it and then conclude that what is important is that they love their child yeah. like how powerful yeah. is that just yeah. to normalize that whole process for all these people watching that show I think it's so cool yeah I agree I really agree and there's like it's something I have a little bit of experience with because I write for um young adults and there are non-binary characters in my books. And so often I'll be at events and someone will come for my adult books and they'll end up buying 
a book um, what young adult book that I've written for their child and so mm. I'll have I'll talk to a lot of mums and a lot of parents yeah and, and and parents did talk to me about um their kids coming out as trans to them and you do see a lot of them struggling with it and you do see a lot of um parents you know 40s 50s 60s or whatever sort of wincing and sort of closing their eyes and being like no I'm, I meant I meant they I meant they they are doing mm. this now they would love your book and I can see them stumbling on their words and they're also particularly they want to kind of impress me because they see me because I've written this book that I yeah. must be some kind of gatekeeper of these values when, when I'm not yeah um and but what's always so evident is that they're, they love their kids so much yeah. and I just always think of this woman I met once where she was like you know I have I had three sons and now I have four Aww. you know and it's it's so beautiful to see because there's so much pearl clutching and roaring and real to say, this is the truth that's just missed out from yeah. the conversation. This is the this is the truth. Like yeah, because like the so many horrible headlines just take they, again they soak up all of the air in the room when what we don't see is just these people who love their kids and yeah maybe they are confused a little bit but they listen to their children you know yeah. and. It's really beautiful to see on screen, I think. Yeah. I wish they could have... I know this is the thing we keep saying more over and over again. I wish we yeah. could have seen a bit... I think wish we could have seen more of it. But what's wonderful is that we just see this acceptance, you know, quite soon. Yeah. What I wish as well is that Rock wasn't such a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I love the scenes about Rock's gender choices that don't have Rock in them. <laughs> kind of adorable sometimes i don't know i just i find you didn't like the tiktok the tiktok the tiktok <laughs> falls in the same category for me as the podcast where it's like you know a thing called tiktok exists or, or you know podcast exists, but you haven't like <clears throat> sat with it long enough to really learn the vernacular of how people speak or perform on those platforms yeah and so the tiktok is just not how kids make tiktoks the <laughs> my name is rock don't want to shock. R-O-C-K. Rock. It's like, no. Yeah, I, I agree. It's like youth culture from people who the last thing they remember about youth culture was the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> That's got Michael Patrick King written all over it, that little rap. <laughs> it really does. It really, I mean, he was quite moved by it too. <laughs> I'll tell you a scene that I adored, which is sort of the resolution of that storyline mm. <clears throat> with Charlotte accepting Rock is the scene at the picnic where Miranda yeah. tells Charlotte that she had sex with Trey. Yes. I think it's like the most truthful and maybe the funniest scene in the whole I so, heard so, and people were really annoyed by it when it happened, but I thought it was so funny. And it's so believable when I watch it, I'm like, oh yes, these are the characters that we've known for 20 years, like Charlotte saying, yeah. you're having non-binary sex. <laughs> and then she says, the bit that made me howl. And I was like, this is how you like get into the comedy of woke culture, quote unquote, versus like, people who are so unwilling to mm -hmm. understand, quote unquote, woke culture. This is how you do it. In that moment when uh, Miranda says, like, I've never 
felt so good as when I'm with them. And Charlotte says, there are more than one? <laughs> it, just, it felt so like, honest, like naturally yeah. funny for me that moment. It's like, so funny. That's so, so, like this woman who's like struggling so much. And then she has that breakdown and says, why can't people stay how they were? And it's obviously yeah. like so much about... Her, her accepting her her child. Yeah, yeah, and and the oh, I love because that the it's it's just great joke writing that whole scene because it yeah. just keeps heightening, heightening, and then just breaks on. You're not progressive enough for this. Yeah, which is just so realistic. Which that is character what you would, would think. Say. My friends definitely thought that about me before. You're not progressive enough for this. Just when I've been in like relationships or situations that aren't entirely heteronormative or heterosexual. Oh yeah. Oh we're gonna we're gonna be open for a while. Yeah. You're not progressive enough for this. Yeah, or when I've just been like, yeah, I just I know that my friends have been like, oh, Dolly's always wanted to be a little bit groovy, but <laughs> <laughs> it's very realistic, I think. It is. It totally is. Oh what do we think about the whole um I mean the infidelity stuff. I really like it. What do you think? Mmm I am so interested in the, the the absolute the mass horror at this. People were so so angry. But were they angry about the piss in the bed happening with yeah. the fingering in the kitchen, or was it the fingering in the kitchen just full stop, or like what was it that horrified people, or was it just infidelity? I think it was just the betrayal of Steve that people hated. Oh, grow up, yeah, grow up. This is the thing I'm, I'm kind of interested in. Maybe I'll end up doing kind of a separate podcast all about this subject. But um, people cannot take infidelity when it's driven by women on screen. Yes. Like I was watching Ali Wong's um, latest comedy hour the other day and she talked about how in the English language we have no word for a male mistress. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If a married woman has a boyfriend, we have no word for that. Yeah, how bizarre. And like, think about all of the culture you've seen over the years that are driven by infidelity as plot, like fatal attraction or something like that. Um, they're always men cheating on their wives and we've kind of accepted it as being kind of normal. Mm. But there's literally nothing, apart from in soaps, of uh, of women cheating on their husbands. And I'm not saying it's like, you know, let's get the, you know, let's, let's close the gender pay gap on... <laughs> on female murderers, do you know what I mean? <laughs> or whatever. Let's have more women cheat on their husbands. But lots of women do cheat on their husbands. I think mm. infidelity is one of these things. It's death and taxes. Like, if you're not going to cheat on someone, you're going to be cheated on in your life. Yeah. I've had both happen to me. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's it's a normal thing. It's unfortunate and it's sad. It's troubling. But, like, for us to get so upset when we see it on screen, particularly yeah. when it's driven by a woman... I find it so interesting. Yeah. And also particularly in this case, because we think of it as something, you know, anti-feminine, like anti-mother, anti-wife, yeah. anti-server, like that. It's that it's so like anti-nature for women. But that's particularly heightened when it's like so selfish in that it's while her friend needs yeah. her. Yeah. And she's stinking out her house with weed and drinking so it's like the whole it's like I a maelstrom I think it's really good actually no, the, whole, the whole scene is fucking brilliant yeah it's brilliant it's the thing people kind of talked about the most which means it must have been good but were people I can't really remember what the reaction was for people because I just remember my reaction was kind of like so exciting shocking yeah, yeah. but I didn't feel I thought it was really well really well written and really yeah. well executed but 
I believed it and it was planted really well. The whole thing of like, yeah, the, the, the crush that Miranda has in them, the, the sort of Miranda wanting so desperately to sort of feel something again. And that's why she's drinking so much kind of thing that she would, yeah, let's just like drink tequila in the kitchen. And, and it being that thing of by degrees of being like, there's nothing, like Carrie wouldn't mind. Yeah. Kind of thing. And then it's sort of becoming more and more just, oh, it's so funny. When, when, when Carrie wakes up and has to do the whole kind of... It's almost like a silent movie actor mm. trying to pick She does it so bottle. well, She's doesn't so she? so good at it. And then, and then like, oh God, we've all been there. Like, Miranda's flustered, like, okay, how, how did you sleep? <laughs> when you've been caught rotten. So good. I think Carrie overreacts. You always... You I always think you're going to be so groovy if this happened to you. And I don't <laughs> think it you would be. Look, if you were cheating on Gav, who's a good mate of mine, yeah. in my flat while you're meant to be looking after me. With like your producer on. With my show. producer, and I end up having to piss in a bottle. Sure. I would not be in the best mood. But Carrie goes mad. Also, I'm sorry, I've got to say it. Miranda doesn't have a drinking problem. She doesn't! This is your most this is your most spicy take. Now. I just don't think she's got a drinking problem. I think everyone should get off her back. Particularly those two women, Mrs. Fucking Stay at Home. Yeah. And Carrie, one article a week for her whole life. Mm. She's worked like a dog. She was partner <laughs> at a law firm. That Jackie. <laughs> she was partner at a law firm. She went to Harvard. She has not had a moment's break her whole life. The woman wants to have a Negroni in the evening. Everyone. Back the fuck off. Back off. As you say in the dark, she's not George Best. <laughs> do you not think it's a bit... Um, how, how do I really feel about how this? How do you really feel? What Do you feel any moment that there are... If it were your friend, that, that they were showing signs that were worrying? Yeah. Like I probably what? would. What, the miniatures in the backpack, look. That's not the miniatures. The <laughs> okay, that's hard to defend. The miniature, I, I, I am a bit of a, just a bit of a bitch as well. But like, I, 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 you know, we all are going home and being like, do you see how many glasses of wine she had in I told her I didn't want to drink. Um, uh, the miniature in the backpack, yeah, that would, that would trouble me. No, that would worry me. Though. That's, uh, that's but I fun. love this hill you're dying on. I don't know why. Do you know what it was? It's when Carrie says they're celebrating something, and Miranda says, "Oh, she let's get a bottle of champagne." Charlotte mm-hmm. gets all her knickers in a twist about it. I'm like. I do think Charlotte is overly puritanical. It's yeah, I just hate puritanism yeah. so much. Yeah. I have a very bad, quietly quite irrational reaction to it. Do you think I'm an alcoholic? <laughs> do you think Miranda needs to go teetotal though? Really? No, I don't. I did think. Okay. <laughs> While I think her behaviour was sort of did did sort of show signs of addictive uh, tendencies, uh, I did think when I was seeing her like pour all that rum down the sink, I was like. Is that a bit much? Come on. It's a bit extra. It's a bit extra, like... <laughs> do you know what I mean? And also the fact that, like, her moment of, like, oh, my God, this madness has gone too far and I'm so out of control. It's like her listening to a podcast while having a giggle and <laughs> very, very carefully... <laughs> very carefully and specifically measuring out the ingredients for a cocktail. <sighs> that was Miranda's. Yeah. And also accidentally ordering a book on Amazon when she was drunk. That's me every fucking night, I love. know. Come on. <laughs> that, that's, that's supposed to be I so troubling. I literally ordered a signed picture of Rod Stewart for 40 quid the other night when I was drunk. Now, are Dolly, you... This is the high-low. I'm not going to indulge this. <laughs> are you going to fucking send me to AA? No. Because you're a good friend. 
They do overplay their hand with that. I, but I also, I wonder, like, why wouldn't they just, if they wanted to play the Miranda's an alcoholic storyline, why should, like, all we did was talk about it. We never saw her act that pissed. No. And, like, no, put, her, once. put her, like, in a thing where she suddenly has to drive or something. Like, yeah. Drive no, literally, her know? rock bottom is ordering a book on Amazon <laughs> and not recalling it. That is a crazy rock bottom! <laughs> it just occurred to me how crazy that is, the rock bottom for a character. And she, and she says out loud, oh my god, <laughs> how many other things did I order in Blackout? Like, come on. Come on. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> so is that what that... You said me things on Amazon in Blackout. <laughs> I have. I definitely have. I definitely have. You can be really, yeah, really special. When she's opening all those Amazon packages and Louise is like, got a lot of packages. Is that supposed to be, oh, she's like compulsively buying stuff on Amazon when she's pissed? Oh, yeah, you're so right. That probably really? is what that scene is. I find Louise very triggering. Why? Because I think that's what I was like when I was about 17. Tell me everything. <laughs> what do you mean? So I... You, I, you were quite sexual and cool. I know I was sexual. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't cool with it at all. Um, I definitely yeah, um, had, had a storied sex life as a young person, as we've spoken about before. Um, and for about a year, when I was about 16, 17, I had a boyfriend who, on reflection, a very nasty boyfriend, and uh, probably put a lot of ideas in my head about sexuality that haunted me for the rest of my adult life. However, his. <laughs> His family were fabulous, and they were, oh, I remember you. Yeah, I remember you. They were about. really like artsy and loved me, or they or they certainly pretended that they did. And I would have dinner at their house three nights a week. And like I remember, I remember one year in particular, like during red carpet season, I went over to his house every night to watch the red carpet coverage on E with his mom and his sister. That's so cute. It was so cute and I loved them. And uh, I remember on Valentine's Day, his dad bought me some flowers because the boyfriend didn't kind of thing. This is very Justin through. Oh, a little bit. Yeah. I miss them. I think about them all the time. Yeah. Um, But looking at, and I've always had very fond memories of that time in my life. Mm. But looking back at Louisa being sassy with Miranda being a nightmare, I was like, Oh, I think I've been remembering this all wrong. I think I was just a fucking horny, sweaty, barely dressed <laughs> child who wouldn't leave. <laughs> Eating all their food and watching their fucking And being like sky. thinking I'm being like fucking Woody Allen or something, but just like <laughs> being annoying and and talking incessantly about myself and I always trying to catch lifts off them home. You know, like it's the greatest tragedy of my life that you and I weren't friends when we were I teenagers. <laughs> I actually can't think about it too much. <gasps> yeah, it's definitely a specific type of of like teenage girl vibe. Miranda's very funny in opposition to her when she's yeah. like, "I'm not caffeinated enough for this conversation." Or something. that's a very that's a very satisfying, well rounded vintage Miranda. Oh line. yeah, really yeah. Hold up from the sellers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do we want to say anything more about the piss? We've probably covered it. Um, we should probably talk about um, our man Steve. Yeah, have you seen what I wrote in the doc? I have. Let me find this. Let me find this. I just knew I was speaking on behalf of both of us when I wrote yeah. this. Okay. You've written, as an organisation, we oppose and object to the cuckolding and barbaric emasculation of Steve. We stand in solidarity with Steve. <laughs> we want everyone to know that. I just feel like we have to... 
Because that fingering scene, I find, like, a deep, deep betrayal of that character. Yeah. Yeah. He's a stud. Right? When he's like, oh, I'm a little rusty. About... (laughs) 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 He's got a fucking bin on Sesame Street. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a little rusty. About fingering. (gasps) A lot of people contacted me about Steve's voice um, in the interim. Uh, about how it's it sounds like he heard my impression <laughs> and wants to take it further. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's such a betrayal of character. I just... I don't mind their sex life drying up. I think that's yeah. believable. But I just... That, the, like, deep emasculation of that character and the, like, saying that he suddenly, like, wouldn't know how to touch his wife. I just don't yeah. believe it. No. I think what have been what would have been a more interesting version of that is if they do try and do it and you know it, it goes wrong for whatever reason. But the the message of it being not that Steve is um unlovable or unfuckable, but the thing of like and it's very common, no matter what the person you're with looks like or feels like or can or can't do in bed or is or isn't willing to do in bed, like fancying someone is the most ineffable thing yeah. to human beings. There's yeah. a reason why dating apps are what they are. It's like, yeah. you can't, someone can seem like someone you should want to have sex with and you can still not want to have sex with them. Yeah, you've just worded that so well. It's so true. And someone can't become new again. Yeah, so so the, the, the fandom screaming at Miranda for not fancying her husband enough. Can I tell you my very a dissertation thing okay. that I wanted to say about the end of that episode? Okay. Where Miranda, the last shot you see of her is her in her utility room. Yes. Texting, sending a DM to Che. Yeah. And she's folding up laundry. Mm. Do you know what I'm going to say? Yeah, I do. Do I you remember it. in that when she first starts falling in love with Steve, she says the happiest moments of my life at the moment is when I'm folding up his laundry. Yeah. And it just shows so much to me about like what happened, the novelty of domesticity at the beginning of a relationship. Especially if you're someone who's been alone for a long time. Yeah. yeah. And how it then becomes, it can then become something that is not a place of escape. It's a place of imprisonment. Like the routine yeah. and familiarity of a huge, not necessarily doing laundry, but like that the yeah the familiarity of a person. And that I think that is like so well expressed in this show when she's at dinner with Naya, and she says, uh, "You know, I've got a I've got a friend I went to law school with, and she's a judge, and she comes home every night to an empty house, and then she goes, and some days I would love to come home and be a judge and come home to an empty house. You know, I find it all a bit scary." That that monologue in a good way. In a good it, it's way. so well it's written, so but it's like good. it's like makes me so terrified of commitment and children. And that thing about regret, like you can't erase regret by yeah. having and a kid. Why have I never heard anyone say that before? Is that so the thing brilliant. about having a kid is that it doesn't make you regret anything any less. That there are still all these other untrodden paths. Yeah. And actually having a kid as well as opening stuff just closes so much shit down. And I've had so many thousands of conversations with women now over the years of like women who aren't particularly maternal but want to have a kid because they don't want to regret it and nobody yeah. ever talks about the no. other side. It's so brilliant, that yeah, scene with it's Naya. it's so good. It's like, like weirdly revolutionary to hear yeah. a woman be like, and it's really long it's as really well. It's really low down in the mix though. Again, yeah. Once again, so many things soaked up the discourse that we didn't really talk about the most important thing that happened in that episode, you know, yeah, which was that conversation. Because we don't really hear Miranda talk about what it is to be a parent. Yeah. This woman who's, you, you would think, maybe 
would have been a judge and yeah. chosen not to have kids. What is it to get 18 years in and look back and reflect on that? And have a son you don't even like? Have some fucking weird horny son with turtles. <laughs> with his pop socks and strawberry flavoured lube. <laughs> Awful. Um, we have to go. But let's talk about the fashion. People are going to yell at us for all the stuff we did not talk about today. I know. But as we said at the beginning of the episode, we want to talk about what we talk about. We're not going to fucking go through with a fine tooth comb. You've definitely, if you're listening to this podcast, it means you've listened to seven other podcasts about this topic already. <laughs> so you don't need us talking about fucking... Okay, let's rattle through. What are your favourite clothes? Okay, so, oh my God, we didn't even talk about the plastic surgery episode. Fuck. We talked about Barbie for 10 minutes and we didn't talk about that. We're bad at this. We can talk about it next time. Yeah. The only reason we're, we're, we're wrapping up is because we do weirdly have a time limit today. But um, It's the train closures. It's, it's, the, yeah. it's You're not meant to talk about this on the podcast. But <laughs> the we, we don't want to shatter the illusion. But we must bring reality in. Those train closures. Caroline's got a dinner she's got to get to. <laughs> we're sorry. And we are sorry. <laughs> we'll talk about it. We'll we're, talk about it next week because actually I want to talk about ageing next week. So okay. we'll do that. Great. Um, so the fashion uh, in that plastic surgery episode, which we will try to talk about next week, um, the uh, all the tailoring in that episode. Beautiful. It is an episode wall to wall of tailoring. The leopard print suit on Seema, Carrie's burgundy suit. At the picnic. With the fucking, the straps, the, what, what you call them? What are they called again? The straps that go. What are they called? The Mumford and Sons. Yeah. What yeah. are they called? Bridges? Bridges. Bridges. Braces. Braces. Bridges. Why do you say bridges in the German robot? Bridges. Bridges. <laughs> Your collection of bridges has been a good investment. <laughs> yes, the, the bridges and the burgundy. Yeah. The burgundy suit. And they put her in big shoulders. A lot of the stuff yeah. they put her in is like big padded shoulders and she looks great in it. Oh, and we started to see a little bit of um, callback references in this episode as well of uh, of her being the old flat, the old um, patterned sundress. And mm. she went, I love it. It's like very... Why old. are we such stupid girls? We get stupid. so excited when we see old clothes. We see uh, like a corner of some old fabric we once saw first 10 years ago. It makes me so sad. There's, a, there's an episode that opens when she goes back to her apartment that pans up from the floor and there's a discarded purple sequin Fendi baguette yeah. that I think we saw in series three. My reaction to it is so... My reaction is like... Why? When I'm at a Rod Stewart concert and he sings from Every Picture Tells a Story. It's like hearing your favourite song and you're like, are they going to play it? It's, and we're, we're going to get that episode in the next bank of things. Oh, oh with the clothes, yeah. Lovely. What else do we love? Everything Seema wears, just all the kind of the white and creams and golds that she wears. Yeah, the fabulous. silks and the trenches and the shirts. I actually loved, LTW had um, a little mad Fendi hat, like 60s Fendi bucket I love hat. that LTW wears mad shit. She's the, she's the other person in the show really repping mad fashion. Yeah. And it's very Doris Day. They've given her a very similar aesthetic to old Charlotte, actually. That sort yeah. of like early 60s, late 50s, early 60s, like yeah. high femme prim, yeah. primness that just, I think, looks gorgeous. Oh, the Norma Kamali dress, the, the date night dress that she wears on the Terrible oh, Date, yeah. which sold out, but you can get other colours online. There's <laughs> one in apple green that I'm looking at at the moment. Oh. It's very flattering, that dress. Oh, I, I didn't talk that one. And normally I don't go for a jersey, a gathered jersey. No. But there we go. 
What else is there? Oh, shoes. There are some great shoes. There's a pair of Aquazura tequila sandals. I'm going to send you a picture. They're the mm. most perfect sandals. They're all gemstones. When she's back in her heels after operation, she's in oh, a pair of... Oh, she's stunning. Oh, that whole outfit is oh. incredible. It's like glittery Louboutins. And they really, they really put her in the most beautiful outfit we can imagine, just so they can distract us from the line. And three months later, <laughs> they were just mad for time to pass, so she yeah. can just fuck someone. Yeah, so a true. Tasteful amount of time to pass, so she can shag someone. It's the only reason it's happening. Yeah, yeah. They know it'd be so true, because otherwise everyone would be on at yeah. her about it. Yeah. What did you think of the old white boat net dress at the raffle with the black trim? I was happy to see her. Um, mostly because that whole look reminded me of the Aiden black and white ball. Yes, that's true with the chignon, the yeah. like high hair thing. Yeah. Yeah. That whole auction, once again, something that would happen to you. Did happen to me. Did it? Yeah, no one would fucking pay. Oh my God. Yeah. I had to persuade the bloke next to me, paid 500 quid. What was it? Just like to go on a date with me or something for save the children. <laughs> This whole period of my life, Caroline, where we were, you didn't know me, where it was like when I was a dating columnist and I wanted to hustle hard while I had that gig. And I would like every night of the week be like giving out advice to divorcees, like telling them how to date or I would be at a- You at 26. Yeah, or I'd be at a charity. In fact, they turned on me once. Um, oh no. In that very learning annex thing that happens to Carrie where this woman put her hand up and she was like, why are you telling us this? That it's hard out there and you're a 26 year old in a miniskirt. And they all let it turn quite. Oh my God. And I was like, fair. What did you say? What did fair. you do? Oh my God, I'm dying. I know. You're a 26 year old. <laughs> She's totally right. But anyway, <gasps> no, it's a very real to me, that raffle when she bids on herself. Oh God. Just to make it stop. When Charlotte bids against herself. <laughs> oh. I did find the, the only time I really liked Charlotte in these episodes was uh, her correcting when she's a, when Carrie's introduced as a sex writer and just, yeah. no, she writes about relationships and the nuances. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lunch. It's, yeah, it's really good that bit. Yeah. Just spoiled by the bum out teacher. There we are. He's a drag. He's a drag. And we're going to have to talk about him next time. I know. And the thing about him is that it's it's up there with your um, fucking, your observation about things we don't want to see Carrie go through. And like that man would be a lovely man for so many women. Yeah. But not our Carrie. We need someone a bit more glamorous. <laughs> I know exactly what you She can't go out with a maths teacher. She can't. No. Sorry. Not allowed. Not Sorry. allowed. We all can. Yeah, you can. I can. The rest of us have to shoulder that burden. But not her. <laughs> he can't. I can already see the rouse they're going to have. Yeah. No. And he's got very early starts. It's not right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not right. They're she, not She's compatible. never going to be with a teacher. No. Sorry. Teacher. No. Um, okay, this has been Tentabelle in the City, episode two, the reboot. Uh, we didn't touch on... 80% of the material that we intended to touch on, but we still had a great time. I had a great time. <laughs> and we hope you did too. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. 
every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com